Why does mental illness have such a stigma in our society? It may be that you know someone who is struggling with mental illness, maybe even a young person. The statistics are staggering of how often that leads to them taking their own life. Vanita Halliburton will be with us from the Grant Halliburton Foundation, and she'll be talking about her own story with her son Grant and how you can get help through the Halliburton Foundation. Stay tuned. Welcome to Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. I'm your host, George Mason, and it's an honor to welcome to the program today, Vanita Halliburton. Vanita, we're glad to have you with us. George, I'm just so delighted to be here, thank you. Vanita is the co-founder of the Grant Halliburton Foundation, which works especially in the area of mental health and, and particularly with youth yes. as well and with families. And I think this is one of those subjects that has gotten uh, far less attention in our society, especially in the healthcare uh, realm, mm -hmm. than it deserves mm -hmm. because of the amount of uh, struggle that people have in their personal lives and in their families about this. Uh, you came to this work through very personal experience and painful as well. Tell us about your son Grant, mm -hmm. who, for whom the foundation is named. Certainly. Well, I was blessed with two children, a daughter named Amy and three years younger, a boy named Grant. And they were both just highly creative, uh, full of life, spark plug kinds of kids. Mm -hmm. Grant was an absolute bolt of energy. Mm -hmm. um, he was uh, very outgoing. He had mm -hmm. tons of friends. Mm -hmm. He befriended everyone, especially the friendless. He was just that kid. Mm -hmm. And from the outside, his life looked golden. Truly, it mm -hmm. did. But one day when he was in eighth grade, I got a call from the middle school counselor. And she said, Miss Halliburton, I'm calling to tell you that your son has been self-harming. He's been cutting. And I was flabbergasted. Yes, I had no idea what cutting was. I didn't know that it was a kind of self-injury linked to emotional pain. And to look at that child, you would not have thought he had a care in the world. We got him the help that he needed. And um, for the next five years, our family did everything we knew to do to help him manage or, or, or deal with his depression. Um, Grant turned down scholarships to the top art schools in the country when he graduated wow. from high school. Um, he had, in his senior year, begun to lose interest in a lot of things. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of behaviors I did not understand. Mm -hmm. Drugs and alcohol came on the scene mm -hmm. where they'd previously not been a part of his life. Uh, he agreed to go to UT Austin for a very short time. Mm -hmm. And one day he came home from college and he said, Mom, I'm not going to be able to live a normal life if I don't get some serious help. Wow. So we checked him immediately into a psychiatric hospital here in Dallas where he stayed for 30 days. That's a long hospital stay for Dallas right. uh, health care. He was immediately diagnosed with bipolar disorder one with psychoses, which is mm -hmm. a very serious form of that illness and which explained a lot of the behaviors I've been seeing in the year okay. leading up to that. At the end of 30 days, he was discharged, and over the next two weeks, I just continued to see behaviors that seemed so strange, but I, I did not know what I was looking at. Uh, two weeks out of the hospital, Grant jumped to his death from a 10-story building a block from home. So 
I, I was left reeling with questions, but the main question was, what happened here? Right. We did everything we knew to do right. to help him to be whole and well, and he wanted to be whole and well. So what happened here? Mm -hmm. And I found my answer in the question. It was everything we knew to do. Ah. Like many families and many people today, we did not know everything we needed to know about mental illness, about uh, finding help, about the warning signs of suicide. We didn't know that all those things at the time we needed to know it. Now, before we get into all the things you have learned since then, and the things you want to share with people about things they don't know yet that mm -hmm. could help, uh, Let's talk about uh, the, uh, our program is called Good God, and yes. it, it intersects faith and our public life. Um, in this case, this is a, a private life sort of uh, experience, but there are people probably who would say under the circumstances that you were dealing with Grant, if, if only you prayed more, if only you had more faith, and maybe you had enlisted people to pray, and it didn't work mm -hmm. in the sense of getting him whole and healthy and, and making that happen. Mm -hmm. Tell us about the way you think through the role of faith and how it worked or didn't work in your own life and what you would say to people mm -hmm. about that as a result. Yes. Well, for as far back as I can remember, I've been a person of strong faith. Mm -hmm. And I, um, I prayed so hard in those five years that Grant was dealing with his mental illnesses. Right. And I was camping constantly yes. <laughs> on the grounds of asking, you shall receive. Yes. And as Grant's condition worsened and became more confusing and more complex, I just remember every day, my first waking thought was, God, keep Grant in your grip today. Yes. Yes. That's all I can pray is, you, you've got this, you've got my children, yes. take care of Grant today. And um, so when tragically and suddenly and unexpectedly we lost Grant, I just, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that that my faith hadn't somehow been the magic charm that kept him here. Yes. And, and I was devastated. Um, I read in, in, in a journal that I kept for, for about five years after Grant died, I read something um, yesterday in that journal that said, your faith can be strong, your faith can be shattered. And my faith was shattered. Mm -hmm. I felt like it was in shards around me, yes. and that I didn't know how to pick up the pieces. I didn't know what to do yes. with my whole belief system shaken that way and shattered. And, and it took a long time for, even um, with a deep faith, it took a long time for me to put those pieces back together and to find, what, find my peace with it. Um, I felt like I had not, for a time, I felt like I had not only lost my son, but my father, my heavenly, heavenly father. Okay. And I felt orphaned yes. by these bookends um, yes. in my life, and it just left me. So um, I'm curious, Vanita, now uh, looking back on it all, um, would you say, uh, if you were counseling people about how to exercise their faith during a time of dealing with a child's uh, mental illness. Mm -hmm. would, you, would you say, go ahead and pray the way you did, and 
learn to accept that the outcome is out of your control, or would you counsel to pray differently in some way? How, do you have a sense about that? How would you tell people? I, I, don't, I don't have a sense about that, okay. so I, I want to ask you that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But I would say right. I don't think it was um, anything about the way I prayed. Yes. I didn't do any bargaining with God. I okay. didn't say, if you'll only okay. do this, if you'll only Good. save my son. But, right. but remember, I had, no, I had no idea that his ultimate demise, that his death was part of the picture. Right. I was just praying for right. God to keep him safe and to right. get, get, get him through this period of his life so that he'd come out on the other end well. So I was completely blindsided by the fact that I was going to lose my son. Yes. So I was praying for healing. I was praying for okay. wholeness. And, you know, I think that's a beautiful thing to do. Mm -hmm. I think it's a legitimate prayer. And I would say, yes, why would we pray for anything other than the complete healing of our child under those circumstances? Mm -hmm. If we believe that in the end, in whatever way is in God's future for us, that healing is uh, the goal. You know, that, that God's promise, what's a heaven for if not a place of healing, right? But we certainly would pray before we get to heaven that we have an experience of heaven and healing now, a taste of that, and that God can bring about wellness and wholeness and all of that on this side of the grave, right? So right. I still think it's the right kind of prayer. I do think sometimes our theology, however, uh, tends to overpromise, uh, and we have to really think through that. That you know, if our faith is strong enough, if our prayers are clear enough, if we if we name the problem and claim the answer and those sorts of things, then God is somehow obligated to then answer our prayers the way we we have uh, asked them. Uh, I also think sometimes that we uh, wrongly think that God is actually doing everything that ha orchestrating specifically everything that takes place. And so sometimes we also have this feeling that, well, uh, God took his life uh, and we just simply have to find a higher purpose. I think that's also overstepping in our theology. Where uh, William Sloan Coffin was the famous pastor of um, the Riverside Church in New York City, and he lost his son. Uh, his son um, was driving on a wet highway and went off the road and over a ravine and cliff and into into the water, and uh, the, the, he was lost that day, that night. And uh, Coffin said. Uh, many people have come to me with all sorts of platitudes saying, you know, um, we don't understand the will of God and why he did such a thing. And um, he called them well-meaning, quiche-bearing Christians, you know. Um, but he said, uh, you know, it, it, my understanding of God is not that God did that, but that, first of all, uh, my son was drinking that night, you know, and he shouldn't have had that much to drink. And secondly, he said, um, there was no guardrail on that road, and there should have been. And uh, he said, when, when we get through with all the human agency, still, uh, when the waters came over the car that night, he said, I believe God's was the first heart to break. Mm -hmm. 
Now that's a theology. Yeah, that's beautiful. I can believe in. That's beautiful. So I uh, <clears throat> the minute the pastor at Grant's funeral said, when God when Grant fell from that building, and I have the same things. Why was yeah. the door of this this ten story business building? Why was the door to the roof unlocked? Yes, it's supposed to be it was supposed to be locked yes. all the time. How did he have access that day? It's right. like the guardrail wasn't there. Yes. I had the same thing yes. going on. Yes, but when Grant fell, God caught him. There you are. And I know where Grant is. Are. And my greatest peace is, and I never doubted this for one second, Grant is in heaven and I will see him again one day. And this is very important for people who are grieving a suicide mm -hmm. because the history of the church is um, not always kind to families uh, in, in an effort to prevent people from taking their own lives. Mm -hmm. Uh, and in an effort to be pro-life, you might say, the church has sometimes gone farther than it should in, uh, in, in threatening an eternal uh, damnation to mm -hmm. suicides. And uh, that's n not, I think, a um, biblical um, reading that is, is, is wise, nor is it a spiritually healthy reading. Mm -hmm. It presumes, again, to know the outcome. Uh, when the Bible itself says that nothing can separate us from the love of God right. in Christ Jesus. Right. So uh, even suicide, uh, that's true. And so it occurs to me that the story of Grant's life is not over. Right. And even though he is in the arms of God today, the, the script didn't come to an end the moment he jumped off that building. Mm -hmm. uh, it is continued. Uh, and it's still his story, isn't it? It's, mm -hmm. it's not even your story alone, although you're part of it, um, but it's still Grant's story that is playing out now and it is helping so many people. That's true. And I want to say one more thing about the faith thing. I wrote in that journal, um, <clears throat> my faith is strong, faith is strong, faith can be shaken, faith can be shattered, yes. faith can be restored. Beautiful. And so God, um, God has restored my faith, Lovely. and you know we had a fight there for a while. But his, it, it's okay to be mad at God. I found this, this is out. so important too. It, <laughs> it really is. is okay to be mad at God. If anyone has ever read the Book of Psalms, <laughs> you yes. can see that it's not all hallelujahs. Right. It's not all about praise and worship. This is the prayer book of uh, the Hebrew Bible, and for Christians as well. And often the anguish of the psalmist, the, the sadness, the anger, is it just jumps off the page, doesn't it? Yes. It is so honest. Yes. And one of the things that I think we learn in the spiritual life is that to fear God is to trust God so much that we can be completely honest with God. That's true. That we don't have to protect ourselves by speaking to God in a way that we think somehow will make God friendlier toward us. Mm -hmm. It's already that way mm -hmm. and it can't be otherwise. So when we come back from the break, Vanita, I'd like to talk about how Grant's story continues through sure. the foundation. Sure, Thank Good. you. The Good God Program is a project of Faith Commons, a nonprofit organization that I founded in 2018 to promote the common good. Think of a commons on a campus and how you can bring all your faith and people from all corners of the campus together 
Think of the city that way. Think of the country that way. Faith Commons aims to bring people together to promote greater understanding and peace throughout our communities. You can find more information about it at faithcommons.org. We're back with Vanita Halliburton of the Grant Halliburton Foundation. We had this wonderful conversation going uh, about uh, your faith being restored in the wake of Grant, your son's suicide, uh, that culminated uh, five years of his dealing with mental illness. Mm -hmm. And you were saying that you did everything you knew to do, but what you've come to realize is there were a lot of things you didn't know. And that really helped you come to the place of creating this foundation mm -hmm. and the work it does. Mm -hmm. So the foundation is in Grant's name to honor his story. Um, but uh, I think we should clarify also that it, although it's a foundation, it's not the place where you go to make grant requests right. to the Grant Howard Burton Foundation. Right. right. Uh, it, it is a working foundation. Very uh, true. That is a, service organization in a sense, providing services to people. So tell us more about what now you know that you didn't know mm -hmm. and, and how the foundation helps. Well, I, I always tell the story of Grant whenever I speak, um, do a lot of public speaking, and I always tell that story not because it's unique, but because it's all too common. Oh. And when I, uh, after Grant died and I, and I was left with that question, and, and it was pretty clear what I didn't know all the things I needed to know. Um, and you know, it's been a long time since we, uh, you started by saying we don't talk about mental he health very much. Well, the, the only other medical condition that ever in recent history has had that distinction was cancer. Yes. 40 years ago, it had a stigma and people didn't talk about it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And when there's stigma, people don't understand the disease, they don't mm -hmm. understand the symptoms, and they don't understand what to do because you don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. uh, so the first thing I felt like was uh, that, that I felt like I was a little matchbox car and God just picked me up for my career and said, you're gonna go this way now. Oh, and so wow. I said, if our family couldn't figure this out, there yes. must be other people who also don't know everything they need to know. Yes. So we started the Grant Halliburton Foundation uh, with a mission to help promote uh, better mental health among, yes. primarily among young people, yes. um, to prevent suicide and to strengthen the network of mental health resources that are available for people. Yes. Um, we do that three ways. One, number one has got to be education. Mm -hmm. uh, stigma is born a lot of times out of ignorance. What people don't understand, they fear mm -hmm. and they put shame around. So education is huge with us mm -hmm. and we're in the schools um, and the community all year round teaching uh, students and, and, and all the adults in their lives about the, the uh, symptoms of, of depression, how to deal with stress, the warning signs of suicide, how to talk to a person that you think is struggling, yes. and how to connect them with help. Even children can right. learn this, how to uh, be alert to the warning wow. signs in Wonderful. another person. This year alone, we have uh, trained over 47,000 students, parents, teachers, This and is such an important part of your work, isn't it? It's critical. It's not, I think people probably think that this is just about meeting with people who are going through this in a 
private mm -hmm. setting, mm -hmm. but this is a broad educational outreach that you do. Right, right. It's uh, it's really spreading. I mean, we work with the Girl Scouts, we work with YMCA's. Mm -hmm. We train. I go to Girl Scout camps and train the leaders, uh, the staff and leaders before before camp starts in the summer. So many people. There's no one that does does not need this information, uh, including, by the way, church staffs, absolutely, uh, congregations of, right. of all religions as well, mm -hmm. where they are dealing with young people and they can pick up on the signs if they know what to look for. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, the thing is, um, I, th I think a valid question is, is suicide really that prevalent or is it just an occasional terrible tragedy? Horrible yes. when it happens. Okay. But should we be that concerned about it? Does mm -hmm. it need to be brought out of the shadows and into the light? Yes. Maybe it's fine that we don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. But the, the statistics tell us otherwise. According mm -hmm. to the Centers for Disease Control, uh, among all ages in the U.S., suicide is the 10th leading cause of death. Mm -hmm. But if you look at Ten-year-olds uh, to thirty-four-year-olds, it's mm -hmm. the second leading cause of death in that whole bracket. Wow. Ten-year-olds, shocking, to thirty-four-year-olds. Uh, so and, let me just stop and say, I, I, I've, I think there's a kind of correlation here. Uh, one of the things that we talk about in ministry at times with people who are going through divorce and people who are watching people go through a divorce is that. Uh, they, they sometimes think divorce is the, somehow, the, the thing to focus on, mm -hmm. when in effect, it's, it's not really the death of the marriage, it's the death certificate. Um, that mm -hmm. there has, what we should be looking at is not that moment in time, as with suicide, for instance, uh, but rather all the things that led up to that. Right. Right. And so if we zero in on just that point in time, the end result of all of this, and don't take a look at everything behind it, mm -hmm. right? we really will have missed it. Mm -hmm. And the, the stigma uh, can't be overcome if we don't go back a bit. That's right. And, and, and another analogy that we use a lot is it's great uh, to learn CPR so that if you encounter someone who's having a heart attack, you might be able to save them till they can get better help. But it doesn't do anything to prevent heart attacks yes. if we don't back up and talk there about diet and exercise and heart health. Yes. So suicide is the same way. That's the outcome. Okay. But most people that's don't good. understand. That's why it's important to pay attention. In the last decade, the suicide rate uh, among 10 to 14-year-olds has tripled. So wow. it is trending younger. It's getting wow. to be more. We're losing a, uh, a young person to suicide at the rate of one a day in Texas. And, and I often like to say, let's pretend like we're not talking about suicide. Let's mm -hmm. say we're talking about a mosquito-borne virus. Right. And right. it's taking the lives of one of our young people a day in Texas. We know what would happen. It would be on the news every night, mm -hmm. every day. We'd right. all know what that virus looks like, how yes. important it is to get to the hospital, right. how to prevent all of that. And we would hear it every day on the news until the statistic began to change. That's right. But right. it's suicide, and we're just not talking about it enough. So among the reasons we don't talk about it enough, certainly I think the stigma aspect is, is one of those things. The feeling of shame, the, the, the sense that uh, we don't actually know how to talk about it mm -hmm. yet, right? And so this is part of the challenge of the foundation, of mm -hmm. course. I also think that um, some of the way the healthcare system is 
develop the insurance industry and the like, mm -hmm. also contributes to that because it seems to me that in our Enlightenment um, legacy, we kind of chop off the head of the body and anything that we think has to do with the brain uh, or the emotions, that sort of thing, uh, must be of one category over here, mm -hmm. we'll call it mental health, mm -hmm. um, but it's really not health, it's sort of another thing. Instead of seeing the body as whole, mm -hmm. right, and that there's brain chemistry involved in all of this, mm -hmm. uh, that sometimes um, uh, drug therapy is important because we get chemically imbalanced and need uh, the benefit of that, uh, but when we go to an internist, my internist talks to me also. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's not just about, well, let's see what your lipids are today. Right. It's also, let's talk about your stress. Let's yes. talk about what's going on in your life. Yes. That's mm -hmm. what caring mm -hmm. mental health professionals do. So why do you think we separate these things in that way? Lydia? Well, because uh, mental health still has that stigma. It's mysterious, yeah. we don't understand yes. it. A and we, what we tell kids is this, students, when we talk to them, we want you to be the first generation that grows up treating illnesses above the neck the same way you treat diseases below the neck. Terrific. Because the brain is an organ of the body. Of the whole body. <laughs> you have That's a heart, right. you have lungs, you have a stomach, you have a brain. Yes. And you know what, it's the only one that God saw fit to encase in a bony structure to protect it. It's, it, it's, it's the most- So crucial. You know, arguably the most critical body, uh, yes. uh, organ of the body because it, con it controls everything. And yet, we just don't want to talk about that. So in the few minutes we have remaining, I really want people to know how the foundation can be a, a place where they can find help. And I know uh, that if we go to your website, mm -hmm. right, uh, which is granthalliburton.org, right, mm -hmm. uh, they can actually remarkably find access to resources mm -hmm. uh, because of the wizardry uh, of your network mm -hmm. uh, and the technology involved. Mm -hmm. Say a little more about that. Of course. Well, the day I got that phone call from the uh, school counselor in Grant was eighth grade, which began our mental health journey, yes. I was at a I was a thousand miles away from home at a business meeting. Mm -hmm. And I saw that it was from the school and I walked out. And when I hung up from, from listening to her tell me I needed to get help for my son, I sat down on a curb on the street and cried. Not only because my son was struggling and I didn't know it, mm -hmm. but also because I had no idea where to find help. Right. And so we wanted to do something about that as a foundation. So five years ago, we started another website besides our mm -hmm. foundation website. We started a website called hereforTexas.com. Okay. HereforTexas.com. And it is a searchable database of over 800 North Texas mental health providers. Yes. And you can search by all these filters, your zip code, how, how close you need to be, uh, what language uh, a therapist might speak. Do you need a therapist, a psychiatrist? Do you need someone to takes insurance. You put all those in and out of that 800 plus providers, it pulls up the list wow. that meets your criteria. And then you can click on any one of those names and it pulls up a long page of, of details that the provider has generated himself yes. about, about the practice or about the hospital or the group yes. so that people can make informed decisions. That's beautiful. And then mm. uh, if someone is uh, a principal of a school, say, or a pastor of a church, 
or um, the human resources uh, leader of a corporation. Mm -hmm. What would you say to them is available to them? I would say that that website is not just for individuals or families who are looking for help for themselves, mm -hmm. but it's certainly for school teachers, for clergy, for counselors, therapists, yes. psychiatrists, mental health professionals themselves who are looking to refer to ah, someone of a different kind, law enforcement, juvenile justice, hospitals discharging parents. It's for anyone who's looking to connect with those resources. So specifically in those resources would uh, put people in touch so that they could deal with a particular situation, say, for their child or uh, a sibling or some such thing. Or a person of any age. Of any it's age. It's not just about youth. Good, good. Right. All right. Uh, if they want training for people in their corporation, in their church, in their congregation, uh, how do they contact you about that? They can just contact the foundation. Mm -hmm. We have uh, four educators on our staff. Mm -hmm. uh, I do a lot of the adult trainings. I, d I speak to church groups, PTAs, mm -hmm. parents at conferences. And it's very expensive, isn't it? It's absolutely free. <laughs> <laughs> that was a softball. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's and We have another resource, too. Just yeah. this year, uh -huh. we launched a mental health navigation line because sometimes you just okay. need to talk to somebody. Right. Another free resource. Uh, so we have trained navigators who take these calls. They listen with empathy give encouragement, give information, uh, but they get the information we need to uh, internally case manage every call. We have three mental health professionals on staff and we tailor a the, the information for each caller to their needs, insurance, all those filters again, and we get back to them with resources and providers that we think might help their situation. And, uh, and that's a free a free a number as well. So you're doing all of these things to address um, brokenness in the system and to be an, an agent of healing. Is there a big dream about this? If, of the things that are broken, the things that you're addressing, if you, if you could state, you know, here's, here's my big dream, what would it be? My big dream would be that someday we're standing where we are now talking about cancer. How ridiculous Good. it was that yes. we would whisper the word cancer. There was so much stigma around it. Right. Stigma keeps people from getting help, seeking help, finding help. Well, that's where we are with mental health. Yes. And my dream is that one day we go, remember when we used to treat mental illness as something different right. from other illnesses? Right. And just to say, that's ridiculous. And the generation that we're telling it to is going, I can't even imagine, that makes no sense. It certainly does make no sense. If someone is listening or watching this program and they suspect that they have a child uh, who is dealing with this or a sibling or someone in their school or some such thing, would you um, look into that camera and speak to them? What would you say? Oh, I surely would. I would say uh, it's a lonely place to be where you are right now. It's so lonely. You feel like sometimes you cannot talk to anyone about it. You can't ask a, a neighbor, the PTA president, or even family sometimes to help you, support you through this. Um, know that we're here and we can help you. Uh, the phone number for the navigation line is 972-525-8181. Call us anytime. You'll find a listening ear there. Um, the other thing I would say to you is uh, we have support groups for parents who may want to talk to other parents going through the same thing, and that is very helpful. Lots of encouragement, lots of information shared there. Uh, so feel free to, to get information about that on our website. And if I may, I would just like to say if you've 
lost a child to any reason, I know that that I know how dark and how isolating that feeling is. And I would just say to you, keep walking toward the light. In the darkest of days, just keep walking toward the light. You'll get there. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Vanita. Thank you. We're so grateful for your work, for your life, and for Grant's story, his life continuing among mm -hmm. us in this way. Thank you. God bless you. Thanks. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White, social media coordination by Cameron Vickery. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2020 by Faith Commons.